Thank you so much, ladies. Praise God. Please take your Bibles and turn to the <coughs> book of Genesis, chapter 14. Is the screen sharing still on the Zoom? Yeah, yeah. Good to see everyone here today. I hope that you'll pray about coming each week and even inviting someone since we have a lot of room here, praise God, to grow and be together. Trust that today we'll be encouraged and refreshed in the Word of God. I want to thank Christina also for coming today, doing our sign language for our sweet deaf members. It's good to see you here today. God bless you. Amen. Hallelujah. This is a very important chapter in the Bible. Genesis chapter 14. And I want to speak to you today on this subject, how to overcome when you are outnumbered, when you are overwhelmed. And this chapter tells us the many firsts in the Bible. It's the first time we see the word king, priest, war in the Bible. It's the first biblical example of war. It's an international war. It's the first time we see the word Hebrew in the Bible. And bread and wine being used together. In the Bible. And it's the first time we see this word. I know as Christians, you especially love this word. And we're going to look more at it next week. So I know you won't want to miss this message on tithing. (laughs) First time the word tithe is in the Bible. Isn't that something? All those words. So, very important and interesting chapter in God's word. But today our theme is... We're going to look at the history, the geography, but make a very practical application that life is difficult. Last week we said life has strife. Today, my message is life is trial-filled, difficult, overwhelming at times. And the circumstances can seem to overwhelm us and we can feel outnumbered in the circumstances in that sense. And I thought of the precious Malachow family today and how overwhelmed they must be feeling. All of us go through situations like this. So we have prayed. This is the family we have prayed for. This is Jay and this is Deborah. Deborah is traveling from the United States to Palawan. We'll have to do multiple quarantines before she can even see her family. That's, of course, Miss Faye, the wife of Pastor Joe. So pray for Faye as she is literally isolated from her family and quarantined in her own home. And then those are some family friends. And there, of course, is Pastor Jethro and Jabez and Jane. And Jethro is in the church right now and being quarantined with others who have the COVID. Who help Pastor Joe in his COVID. 
So multiple people in the church actually got the COVID to help Pastor Joe through his illness and try to save him. Pray for them in this overwhelming situation. So as we begin this message, take your Bible please, turn to Genesis chapter number 14. Let us read together one verse as we begin. And we're going to look, read verse number 14 of Genesis chapter 14. And when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his trained servants, born in his own house, 318, and pursued them even unto Dan. So now, Father, use this time in our lives and give us strength. We do pray as we have prayed for the Malachal family. They are in our hearts today very much as they endure this trial of affliction and this sore trouble that you have allowed them to go through, Father. Give special comfort to Pastor Joe's wife, Faye, and all the children, especially Deborah, as she travels all the way from the States to be with family. We pray, God, that you will be glorified in this time in their lives. And we praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So what we see in this chapter is this. God has promised to Abram to bring blessing to the whole world. But Abram is not locking himself in his room saying, you know what, I have to really play it safe. Nothing can happen to me. I have to make sure nobody hurts me. I can't put myself in any risky situation. That's not what Abraham is thinking. He puts himself in the line of fire. Very dangerous situation. And we see where he rescues his kidnapped nephew Lot with 318 soldiers. And I thought, are you kidding me? You're going to see the army he went to fight with 318 soldiers. Now, he also had some friends from the plain of Mamre that he made, but there were 318 soldiers that formed the nucleus of his army. So we're going to see a brief overview of what happened to Lot, and then we're going to see how to overcome when you're outnumbered. So what happened to Lot? There's three things that happened in the first 12 verses or so of Genesis chapter 14. It's very amazing history. And I will just say right up front, some so-called scholars say some of these kings or places cannot be verified. And of course, those who deny the Bible say these things aren't even true. But we put our faith in the Word of God. And these things are true, convinced by them. But we see, first of all, a subjugation of four kings over five. Now, this is often called the battle of the kings and the battle of Four kings against five. And the reason, if you look down, you'll see that in verse 9, specifically, where it says there were four kings with or against five. But we see a subjugation of four kings. So what do we mean by that? I mean that a group of four kings, led by Chedorlaomer, require an annual tribute against five kings. Now, these kings are powerful kings from the east who rule large area of land. And I'm going to show you the map in a moment. The five kings are local tribal chiefs, if you will, around the region of the, of the Dead Sea. So the four kings are very powerful. The five kings are more like local chieftains. And the four kings tell the five kings, you have to pay us money, tribute money, to keep us off your back so we don't come and steal your goats, your herds, and steal all the produce that you're producing on the land. In other words, I call it 
You have to pay us, keep us off your back money. It's called taxation without representation. That, that often creates war, doesn't it? So there's a subjugation of four kings over five. So here's the map here. So the four kings are from the Mesopotamian Fertile Crescent region. One, Chedorlaomer, you'll see he's from Elam. You see that in verse 1. Chedorlaomer, king of Elam. Then you see the next two kings, Ariok and also Amraphel. They were kings from the region of Babylon. And then the last king mentioned here is title. It says king of nations. Many people that believe that's from this Hittite region. So there were four kings here, and they were coming down to this Dead Sea region where there were these five local chieftains. And these kings were in this area of the Dead Sea, and where Sodom and Gomorrah, of course, were two of those kings. In a sense, these four kings were shaking down the five. Basically saying, again, pay us that tribute money and we'll stay off your back. We won't come and raid you and pillage you and rob you when you're not watching. But after 12 years, there was, number two, a rebellion. And that's letter B in your notes. A rebellion of the five kings. The five kings in that Dead Sea region rebel against the four powerful kings from the east. They say, we're not going to pay you that get-off-my-back money any longer. And so it says in verse number 4, 12 years they served Chedorlaomer, and in the 13th year they rebelled. They served and they rebelled. By the way, this is the first time the word 12 appears in the Bible. <laughs> and, the word, and the number 13. So, and those are prominent numbers in God's Word. So there's a rebellion of the... Five kings versus the four. So the four kings say, well, we're going to plan a retribution. We're going to force you to pay that money to us. So Chedorlaomer, in verse 5, it says in the 14th year, he got his forces together, and then he comes down what we would call the King's Highway, a major travel route in the day in the Transjordan region, which is just east of the Jordan River. And I'm going to show you that map. Chedorlaomer will lead the four kings down the main trade route, all the way down to the Gulf of Aqaba, and then he'll swing back north into the land of Canaan and attack the five kings of the Dead Sea region. What an incredible military campaign back in that day. But the kings that Chedorlaomer attacks and defeats are also very interesting in this passage. And they're listed for us. So look at some of these verses. And let's try to follow along with this. We see, again, in these verses, five and following, it says, in the 14th year, Chedorlaomer and the kings that were with him, it says they smote the Rephaims. You know what Rephaim means? It means giants. That's what the word Raphaim means. And then it says they smote the Zuzims. You know who the Zuzims were? They were giants. And then it says, and the Emims. You know who the Emims were? They were giants too. So these three regions, the Raphaim, so he comes down, and here's the King's Highway. 
Here's the Jordan River. So this is what they call the Transjordan region, just east of the Jordan River. They attacked the Rephaims, the Zuzims, and the Emims. This was the land of the giants. In other words, Abraham lived in the land of the giants. And the amazing thing, and I believe why God tells us about this as well, is because Abraham is actually going to attack Chedorlaomer, who was powerful enough to defeat all of these giant kingdoms on his way down. And Chedorlaomer is just getting going when he defeats the Rephaims, the Zuzims, and the Emims. There's another important reason why this is in the Bible, I believe. And it's in these verses. So let's look at these verses. This is in Deuteronomy chapter 2. And again, Moses is writing to Israel when they're preparing to enter the land of promise. He's giving them a little history when they go into the land of promise. And he says this in Deuteronomy chapter 2, 20 and 21. He says, this also was accounted a land of giants. And he's talking about this very region of where the the group of people called the the Zazims lived. The Zuzims, I'm sorry, the Zuzims. And he says, the giants dwelt therein in an old time. Now Moses is talking, he's talking about the giants in the days of Abraham. The giants dwelt there. And the Ammonites called them Zamzumans. Now Zamzumman means plotters. In other words, they were plotted to destroy people around them. And it says, they were a people great and many and tall as the Anakims. But the Lord destroyed them before them, and they succeeded them and dwelt in their stead. What is the importance of that verse? You know what it is? It's that what happened in the days of Abraham actually happened. Moses is saying, years ago, these Zuzims lived in that region, but they were defeated. Who defeated them? Chedorlaomer. And Chedorlaomer weakened them, and so ultimately, who supplanted them? Who supplanted them? The Ammonites. Now, if you know a little bit of your genealogy, you know who the Ammonites were? The children, the descendants of who? Lot. So think of this. Lot has been taken captive, but Lot's going to be rescued. He's going to have two children through incest, and they're going to bring forth the Ammonites and the Moabites. Just watch and see what happens. But the point is, is that God was using Chedorlaomer to bring judgment to these Zuzims, these people who were of giants. It's amazing. Then the next verse here we're gonna, we want to look at is also in Deuteronomy chapter 2. And here this talks to us about the Emims that are mentioned in Genesis here where it says the Emims who were also smitten. You know, And by the way, the word smote there in verse 5, you see that in Genesis 14 verse 5? It says smote. That word smote is used in verse 7, and it's also used in verse 15. It's used in verse 17. Look at verse 17. Look at verse 17 where it says, And the king of Sodom went out to meet him after his return from the what? The slaughter. That's what the word says. Same word in Hebrew, smote. So smote means to what? Kill them, smite them, slaughter them. Hebrews also says this happened when Abraham was returning from the slaughter of the kings. So, you know, when you start denying one part of the Bible, other parts of the Bible verify that, and you start denying the whole of the Bible. That's the point as well. 
Okay, so here we see the Emims, this other giant people, and they're referenced by Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. And he says the Emims dwelt therein in time past. So Moses is verifying the historicity of what's happening in Genesis 14. A people great and many and tall as the Anakims. So the Emims were who? Giants, as I mentioned. Which were also accounted as giants, as the Anakims. But the Moabites called them Emims. So again, basically Abraham defeats these giants, weakens them, and who will ultimately supplant them when Moses is going into the land? The Moabites, also the descendants of Lot, right in our story. So, the Word of God is just putting it all here together for us. And Moses, again, now remember when you read the book of Genesis, the book of Genesis was primarily, the audience of the book of Genesis was the generation of Israelites that were in the wilderness preparing to go to the land of promise. Moses was writing to them, telling them, this is what you can expect to find. And Moses is basically saying in writing this chapter of Genesis 14, Abraham defeated Chedorlaomer. Don't be afraid of the giants that are still there. There were still giants in the land. So, here's a bigger picture map. So here's Chedorlaomer, this green line. This green line is Chedorlaomer. He comes down, he defeats Rephaims, the Zuzims, the Emims. Ultimately, they would be supplanted, as I said, by the... Ammonites and the Moabites. And then below them are the Horites. Do you see that? Now look, please, in your Bible as well. And I love the Holman. I say to you, get a Holman Bible atlas if you don't have one. Because it's really one of, it's the best Bible map atlas I've ever seen by far. And you can even follow in your Bible and match it up with what you see in the map. Because look at verse 6 where it says, And the Horites... They were in Mount Seir. He attacked them. Now, the Horites were not giants, but it says they were in Mount Seir. Who would eventually live there? The Edomites. That's right. Edomites who were the descendants of Esau. And this was an impregnable rock type of fortress city. Very difficult to defeat. But they're saying, but, but we see that Chedorlaomer, not only does he defeat the giants, but now he defeats the Horites, who seemed to be living in an impregnable fortress built high into the rocks. So he comes down, and he goes all the way down here to El Paran, which is also mentioned, if you see that in your Bible, in verse number 6, he says he defeated the Horites, all the way unto El Paran, which is way down at the Gulf of Aqaba. And then he swings back around, going up north. Verse 7, he returned and came to Emishpat, which is Kadesh, and smote all the country of the Amalekites and also the Amorites that dwelt in Hazazon Tamar. So guess what? Chedorlaomer hasn't even got to the five kings yet. And he's had all these military victories. These five kings must be sweating in their boots, thinking, wow, this guy's powerful. The giants couldn't stand against him. The impregnable rock fortresses couldn't stand against him. What are we going to do? Well, they decide to go fight him anyway. So in verse 8 and following, we see where the five kings then are going to go fight Chedorlaomer, who had just overwhelmed all these other kings. And here's a map now of this area where the five kings were. You see Zoar is down here. 
And this is where Sodom and Gomorrah would be. Zoar is also mentioned in our text in verse number 8. And it says, there went out the king of Sodom and the king of Gomorrah, the king of Adma, and these five kings, and they joined battle with them. And uh, with Bela, the same as Zoar, and they, they joined battle. Now watch this. And this is one reason. Now here's a reason, too, why King Chedorlaomer would want to keep these five kings under his thumb and want to control them. Look what's there. Verse number 9, it says, With Chedorlaomer, these different kings, and they're mentioned again in verse 9, and he says the four kings with five, so it's the battle of four kings against five. And it says in verse 10, And the veil of Siddam was full of slime pits. Now, slime pit was bitumen. Basically, it was untreated, I'm going to be very, so I can understand, it has to be simple, untreated asphalt. It was oily, it was down in pits, in cavernous type of, of an area, and it was very valuable building material. It was used in the building of the Tower of Babel. It's referenced in Genesis chapter 11, verse 3, where it says, Slime had they for mortar. Basically, it's by two minutes. It's asphalt, untreated. Can you get a picture now of a pit of untreated, oily, tarry asphalt? <laughs> These pits, very valuable. And they would get that and use it for building. Because when the sun dried it, it made great, strong building material. And they would use that. They would export it. They could sell it. They could get rich from it. This was a key reason why Chedorlaomer wanted to control these five kings. The slime pits. But what an irony it is that the Sodomite king slipped... And went down into that oily, asphalty, untreated material and was filled with it himself. That's an irony we shouldn't lose because God has already told us that Sodom and Gomorrah was a place of great wickedness. And Lot, who had pitched his tent there at verse 12, it says that he was now dwelling there in Sodom. And so Chedorlaomer and his four kings unleashed their ferocious counter against these five kings. They raid, they ravage these kings. They take the goods of Sodom, their food. And the king of the Sodomite city gets stuck in the slime pit. And that's what sin will do to you every time. It will get you stuck in the slime pit of mess. This suggests God's divine displeasure of Sodom and Gomorrah. And oh, by the way, verse 12, what happened? They took Lot, Abram's brother's son, his nephew, who dwelt in Sodom and his goods, and they parted. Abraham hears about this and says, we've got to do something. So, that's a long introduction to a, hopefully a briefer message. But the point is, now, here's our message. How can Abraham and his army expect to defeat these mighty kings? How can Abram expect to defeat Chedorlaomer, who just defeated all these giants and other stronghold areas? How can Abram... Have you thought of Abraham as a mighty warrior up until this point? Do you see him commanding an army? Is that who you think of Abraham? I mean, we don't see him that way, but we see him here as a mighty warrior in a situation that no doubt was overwhelming. So let's look at just... Five simple things I want us to see from this passage of Scripture. Number one, 
I believe that Abram and his army were able to defeat these five kings because they were courageously captained. They were courageously led, captained by this man, Abraham. The, the leader of this military campaign against Chedorlaomer and his four kings is clear. The leader is clear. There's no doubt who the leader is, and it's who? Abraham. Verse 13, it says, And there came one that had escaped, and they told Abram, the Hebrew, for he dwelt in the plain of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eshcol, brother of Aner. These were confederate with Abraham. Now I have to say, these are three brothers from the plain of Mamre where Abraham lived. They also helped Abram in his battle along with his soldiers of his own house. But the key here that I want to focus in on is that word Hebrew. It says, Abram, the Hebrew. First time the word Hebrew is used in the Bible. You know what the word Hebrew means? It means a people from beyond. A stranger. A sojourner in a land. And the book of Hebrew tells us he was a stranger and he was looking for a greater city. The city of God. A heavenly city. That Abram was a Hebrew. He was from a land beyond looking for a greater land. Living for eternity. That's what a Hebrew is. A Hebrew is someone who knows there's an eternity to embrace and an eternal cause to live for. And so when I say they were courageously captained, I believe the key to Abram's courage here is that he was a Hebrew. That's a key to courage. To realize this world is not our home. We're from a land beyond. We're just here sojourning as pilgrims. We're not home yet. We're going home, heaven itself. Abram, as a Hebrew, saw himself as an outsider. As one without property. A a stranger, a sojourner, a traveler through this life. And so this is the key to his courage. He lived for a cause greater than... And he lived with promises that were absolutely true and unconditional. And that's why we can live for... That's why we could be Hebrews. In a sense live for another world that we don't see, but that's real, heaven itself. Because we have the promises of God. Heaven is real! There's a heaven to gain, a hell to shun. And we're here to win people to Christ. We're not of the giants of this land, you know? There's giants in Abram's land, but Abraham's not trying to be another giant. He's not trying to mix his seed with that giant seed. He's got to keep separate to glorify God. And he's living because he has the promises of God. So we mentioned there were five kings versus four. It was the five kings of the Dead Sea. There were five against the four. But now it's going to be one king against four. Who's the one king? Abraham, full of courage. A man of action. Now, don't you think Abraham was tired feeding his flocks, taking care of all the responsibilities? He had a large household, over 300 people to care for. He was tired and fatigued, but he doesn't let being tired and overwhelmed keep him from the fight. There's a fight. His son is captive. Abraham could have said, well, it serves Lot right for pitching his tents towards Sodom. Let him experience and taste the result of his sin. But he doesn't say that. He gets involved in the fight. Abraham could have said, ah, Sodom is deserving. They deserve the judgment. Let the kings of Chedorlaomer just have them all. But Abraham doesn't think that way. So this group is courageously captain. So the application for us is we have a greater captain.
Amen? Jesus Christ. The Son of God. And you can say it this way, I believe. Jesus Christ is the ultimate Hebrew. He is the ultimate one, not of this world. He is the ultimate one, different from this world. He is from beyond. He is from heaven itself. He is the ultimate Hebrew, the Son of God, now in heaven, preparing mansions for us, who risked His life for us, dying on the cross for our sins. The Bible says He's the captain of our salvation. Let Jesus, make sure Jesus Christ is your Savior. He's the captain of your salvation. And we need a courageous captain in this life because we're cowards many times. Not only were they courageously captained, but they were thoroughly prepared. Verse 14 simply says, Abraham heard that his brother was taken captive. He armed his trained servants. They were armed, prepared for battle. Literally, they were ready to draw their swords and throw their spears. They were ready to engage in battle. And it says they were trained. They were skillful in that. They were instructed, trained servants. 318 men. Skillful and prepared for battle. Abram armed his trained servants. Thoroughly prepared. And I ask you this question. Are you thoroughly prepared? Are you prepared for battle? Are you armed with the mind of Jesus Christ? I love what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 1. He says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And he says, for as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourself with the same mind. We have to arm ourselves with the, with the mind of Christ. And be prepared for battle. Put on the armor of God. Likewise, with the same mind, put on the mind of Christ, for he hath suffered in the flesh, for he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. Put on the whole armor of God. Put on the sword of the Spirit, the helmet of salvation. Have, your, have on the breastplate of righteousness, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Yes, go forth, soldier of Jesus Christ. We are soldiers of Jesus Christ. We memorize in 2 Timothy 2, and we're not to... Engage in all the things of this world as soldiers of Christ. Are you thoroughly prepared as a soldier of Christ? Number three, they were deeply loyal. It says in verse 14 as well, Abraham heard that his brother was taken captive. He armed his trained servants, born in his own house. Again, the idea here is, and I know this could probably go in different directions, but think of all these giant kingdoms all around. There was some kind of a wicked, demonic seed that was creating this culture of giants. So these were, these in Abraham's house did not mix with that wickedness all around them. They were born in his own house. So they weren't going to be traitors. I just read an amazing book called the indispensables. And it was, about, it was about these men from Marblehead, Massachusetts, who were mariners, and they basically formed the first United States Navy. I mentioned it in a sermon, but they were the ones who helped the great evacuation of the United States Army out of Brooklyn when basically the British 
army could have completely crushed Washington just a, a month or so after the signing of the Declaration. These men from Marblehead, Massachusetts, these were mariners. They were like the early Marines and formed the first Navy of the United States. And they, they got Washington's entire army out of Brooklyn into Manhattan. And then they're the ones who brought Washington and the army, the Continental Army, for that nighttime raid against the, the German Hessian soldiers on Christmas Day of 1776, I believe. And they, they went through the icy river of the Delaware, the, these men from Marblehead, Massachusetts. There were no way they were going to be traitors to the patriot cause. There were a lot of traitors that Washington had to deal with in the early part of this country. There was an assassination attempt against Washington. And other things, there were traitors who would sometimes infiltrate the patriot cause and then tell the secrets of the patriots to the, to the British soldiers. There were traitors, and as they say, loose lips do what? They sink ships. But these who were born in his house were going to be deeply loyal to the cause of Abraham. They weren't going to go against him. So I say, are you deeply loyal to Jesus Christ? Make sure you're not loyal to the things of this world. Let's be loyal to our Lord Jesus Christ who loved us and gave Himself for us. Alexander White writes in his classic work on Bible characters that Abraham was the father of the faithful and Lot is the father of all such who are scarcely saved. Are you scarcely saved? If so, you could well be a Judas and a traitor of the cause of Jesus Christ. Don't be a Judas. Don't go back from following Christ. Put your hand to the plow and do not look back. Be born of God, of God. Are you born of the Spirit? So I like this. It says they were born in Abraham's house. The key to them being loyal to Abraham, they were born in his house. The key to our loyalty to Jesus Christ is we must be what? Born again. You must be born again. It's not an option to go to heaven. If, unless you're born again, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. You must be born of the Holy Spirit of God. He begins that work of transformation and sanctification. And then the next thing is they were wisely strategic. Abraham divided his army, it says here, and he launched a daring nighttime raid. Now watch this. So he got his 318 servants along with his, the three brothers from the plains of Mamre. Verse 15, he divided himself against them, he and his servants, by night and smote them, literally slaughtered them and pursued them unto Hobah which is on the left hand of Damascus. That's an amazing, amazing feat. Now, here's the question. You might say, how in the world could Abraham defeat this powerful army of Terlaomer, these four kings from the east who have just marched down the Transjordan, defeated those giant kingdoms, defeated impregnable cities, went all the way down to uh, to the Gulf of Aqaba, up and around, defeated the Amalekites, and then, after all that, defeated the five kings around them. How many victories did they have without a loss? They were like undefeated military of Chedorlaomer. And Abraham says, let's get them. What chance you give Abraham? <laughs> Slim to none, right? Humanly. But I believe Abraham knows he must attack them before they arrive back home. He must attack them when they're still in their journey. How come? Because the army had been weakened through all of those wars that they went through. Men had died. They were not as strong now as they were when they began. 
Men have died in their battles. Maybe their equipment is not working and functioning as well as it did. Maybe some of their weaponry is is broken and tattered and not as useful as it was. And no doubt they were physically weary. They were ready to go back home. So Abraham says, we can't let them get home. We've got to attack them before they get there. And so they were weary. And finally they were weighted down. They were weighted down with the spoils of war. They were weighted down with prisoners of war. They had Lot and no doubt other prisoners of war with them. So they were weighted down with the spoils of war, the prisoners of war. And maybe they were enjoying and indulging the appetites and the pleasures and the wine of the spoils. So Abraham says, let's get them at night when they're weak, when they're weary, when they're weighted down. So Abraham was strategic. A nighttime raid reminds us of about 300 men. What does that remind you of? Of Gideon. Remember God shrunk his army down to 300? And then they were strong enough to attack 135,000 of those Midianites. So notice what it says here as well. And if you look at the map, it says he pursued them to Dan. So, so somewhere around... Again, Abraham lived in Mamre in this region... Mamre is in the center here. And I don't exactly know where they engaged the battle, but, but it would seem somewhere around up in here because it says he chased them to Dan all the way to Damascus, and then here's Hobah way at the top. So well over 100 miles, Abraham not only engaged them, but he routed them. He pursued them. He didn't, just, he didn't say, let's just get Lot and Scram. No, he, he pursued them many miles and routed and defeated this army. He was very strategic. So I asked this question, are you wisely strategic in your spiritual life? Do you strategize for spiritual victory? Or do you strategize to see where you can cut corners and sin? If you don't plan purity, for example, you will fall into immorality. We have to plan to be pure. And the way we do that, we have to realize we're in a spiritual battle. Do you know that your moral purity, there's a spiritual warfare going on for your moral purity. The devil wants you to be defiled. The devil wants you to engage in fornication. The devil wants you to be confused about your sexual identity. Your gender identity, I should say. And then your sexual orientation. He wants to confuse you. And then wants to get you trying everything out. That's trying everything out. That's of the devil. Plan to be pure. Strategize. Know who you are. Know where where your identity lies as an image bearer of Jesus Christ. That He's created us male or female. And that's who we are. And then we're born again as His children. And we have to be pure as He is pure. And you know what? I would just say this too. as Maybe this will help you. Is Get a schedule. Get a schedule and stick to it even when you don't feel like it. So... You know, for myself, get up in the morning, put on a Bible CD or put on, put on the Bible on your, your smartphone and start listening to the Bible. Or get up, have breakfast, make your coffee, do whatever you do, but sit down with your Bible. Read your Bible. Open your Bible. Seek ye what? Seek ye tenth, the kingdom of God? Seek ye first, 
the kingdom of God. Have a strategy to do that. Now, however that is. But you know what I like to do? I like to put my Bible on my smartphone, start listening to it while I'm combing my hair, dousing my face, waking up in the morning, or if you do your shower in the morning, or shave, whatever you do. Put on your Bible, start listening to it. You're not going to catch everything, but you know what? You're going to catch something. Strategize to seek God. After you have your breakfast, your, your Bible reading, get on your knees. So I don't have time. Do you have five minutes? I'm not saying you have to pray for five hours. Take time. Get on your knees. Talk to the Lord. Strategize. Get God's Word in your mind and heart. Write down a verse on a card. Memorize that verse as you walk to the train, as you drive to where you're going. Strategize to memorize the Bible. Sing a song. Praise God. We need to be wise and develop godly strategies for the spiritual battle we're in. And lastly, they were divinely delivered. They were divinely delivered. And we'll get more into this next week, but Abraham got Lot. He smote those kings. And it says in verse number 20, he met Melchizedek, and we'll talk about him next week. But look what it says in verse 20. You say, well, how in the world could Abraham have defeated all those kings? Verse 20 actually gives us the ultimate reason how. What does it say? Can you read it with me? Genesis 14, 20. It says... And blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand. Melchizedek says the reason you won that battle is because of who? God. He did it for you. He delivered you. The only way we're going to have deliverance in this life is by the grace of God, isn't it? By His mercy. Because we don't have the strength in ourselves. We don't have the willpower ourselves. It's the grace of God. We need to trust the Lord So I say, are you divinely delivered and are you trusting God for that victory? I love this verse. Can you say this verse? It says in Leviticus, and really this is what Abraham does. He experienced the blessed life. Leviticus 26, 7 and 8. Can you read it with me? It says, and ye shall chase your enemies and they shall fall before you by the sword. And five of you shall chase a hundred. A hundred of you shall put ten thousand to flight and your enemies shall fall before you by the sword. It's not the size of the battle, it's the trust in our God that we must have. You know, we're not the biggest church by far in this part of New York City. There's churches that are, you know, mega churches all around us. But it's not the size of the church that matters. It's, it's the size of our faith and our trust in God that matters. It is God who delivers. We need to be trusting the Lord. Are you divinely de- delivered? And are you trusting God for the victory? Hosea chapter 6, verse 3 says, Follow on to know the Lord. And He will deliver you. He will strengthen you. How do we overcome when we're overwhelmed? When we feel so outnumbered. How do we overcome? How do we keep going? Have you ever wanted to quit? Sometimes we humanly do. We want to quit. We want to say it's not worth the fight. But it is worth the fight. So let Jesus be your captain. Be courageously captained by Jesus Himself. Be thoroughly prepared for the battle. Be deeply loyal to Jesus Christ because you have been born again. Be wisely strategic to seek first His kingdom. And then you'll be divinely delivered as you trust Him in all things. Praise God. Let's stand together as we pray.
In just a moment, we're going to sing our closing song, May the Lord Find Us Faithful. As we stand in the presence of God, let's just stand together with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. And just sense and know that the Lord Jesus Christ is watching. He's looking down into your heart. And yea, if you're saved, He dwells in your heart. If He's convicting you of any sin or wrongdoing, confess it now. And cry out to the Lord this very moment, Lord, I trust You to deliver me from my overwhelming situation. Maybe it's a financial struggle, maybe physical, maybe something in your family, maybe a death in your home. If you're not in an overwhelming situation today, you will be. You will be eventually. God is going to put all of us in a place where where there's no way out except Him. He must be our deliverer. And we've got to trust Him. We've got to know Him intimately as we learned in our Scripture memory verse today. You've got to strategize to spend time with Him. How many would say, Pastor Matt, I've not been spending time in the Word of God in prayer and I know I need to make that time without a question in my life. Put your hand up to the Lord and say, Lord, just help me, God. Help me to strategize to seek You and spend time with You and not to put it off. Don't put it off in your day. Seek Him first. Thank you. Thank you so much for your honesty. Are you loyal to Jesus because you've been born again? How many, how many would say today, by the grace of God, I've been saved, born again. I'm a member of the family of God by faith in Jesus Christ who loved me, who died on the cross, shed His blood, rose again. I believe in Jesus and I've been born of His Spirit. I'm on my way to heaven and my loyalty is to Jesus Christ. Can I see your hand? Put it up. And take your stand for Jesus. Amen. And just say hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for your love of saving me. And now captain me through life, Lord. Yea, be the captain of my soul, O Lord Jesus. Strengthen me and help me to be prepared each day for the battle that I face. O Lord Jesus, you're the captain of my salvation. Make this your prayer. Lord Jesus. You are the captain of my salvation. And you were made perfect through sufferings. Lord, allow those sufferings in my life and those battles in my life to mold me to Jesus. Help us, Lord, to be like you. Forgive us where we failed. All of us have. I know I have, Lord. Forgive me of my sins, O God. Give us grace. May you find us faithful. Oh Lord, find us faithful to you. Hallelujah, Lord.